let's be real. Home is the place where all of the beautiful goodness Christ taught crashes headfirst into the ugly brick wall that is real life. But this is also where it starts to really matter. This is where we equip ourselves and our family with all of the tools, skills, and whatchamacallits vital to succeed in Christ. Join us in our journey to find light, positivity, and specific practical ways to make our homes little outposts of heaven so we can better brighten wherever we end up wandering. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Outpost of Heaven, the podcast. This is Emily Jordan. And <laughs> I'm Andrew. <laughs> yes, I, I'm I, Andrew. I was going to be like, I'm Andrew, but I, I had like that, that, that scene. F- I don't actually know what that scene is from where it's like here's johnny it's like the guy cutting through this is shining isn't it i have is no from? idea i've never seen about. it but i've seen that scene on twister and like a bunch of other movies where like the guy's cutting through the door mm-hmm. and acts okay and he's like here's johnny nothing still anyway, don't know what you're talking well, about i was gonna say here's andrew and then i fell into this monologue so anyway <laughs> uh, we're really excited to have you guys here with us today yes today we have a guest on hannah syriac She's the host of the Fair Mormon podcast. Welcome, Hannah. <laughs> hey, everyone. How are you? <laughs> so Hannah and I uh, kind of, I, I started following her on Twitter and she put out a lot of really good content and I saw that she had a, a podcast and I went and listened to it and it's really awesome. Uh, and then we invited her on and so now we're here. So Hannah, uh, why don't you introduce yourself real quick for our listeners? Yeah, so I'm Hannah Syriac. I'm from Boston, Massachusetts. I grew up Catholic and joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, I actually attended a Catholic college for a year, wanted to become a nun, decided that wasn't the, the, the case for me. Long story short, I'm in the church. Wow. I'm thriving. It's great. Um, I graduated from BYU in April 2020 with a degree in classics, and I'm currently a master's student at BYU right now. I'm studying ancient cultures, especially ancient scripture. Um, have my podcast at Fair Mormon called Fair Voice, um, writing some books, have a blog called Intelligent Theology, lots of good stuff going on. Love to keep busy with doing work for the church and defending the church. Is, is my, I do religious scholarship. I work for the Maxwell Institute. So that's what I do for my job. And then I go home and my hobby is to do more church stuff. So <laughs> love, to, so, love to see it. <laughs> definitely one of the smarter people we are going to have on the podcast. We're super excited for you to uh, be lending us your expertise. Yeah. But hold on real quick question. You got your degree in classics, like classic literature? Yeah, so like Latin and Greek, ancient Greece and Rome, that sort of stuff. Gotcha. Oh, when wow. you said classics, I was thinking like, like Shakespeare, like right, Dostoevsky. Right. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but like, yeah, like real, you know, real classics, like the like OG real, real classics. classics. Yeah, like three thousand years ago. <laughs> uh, and everybody, if you can hear our child squirming in the background, we are so sorry. But oh, we're not sorry. Not sorry. That's life, you know. Uh, so we are recording with our one week old here with us um so that's awesome do you have a favorite a favorite wow good speaking uh do you have a favorite og classic piece oh that yeah that's a really good question my favorite og classics piece would probably at least right now be didache so didache is an early christian text it's a regulatory text, which means it basically tells you how to do stuff. And it tells you how to baptize people. It tells you how to take the sacrament. And I just really like, this is going to sound so weird. It talks about 
the three different types of water that you can use to baptize people. Um, what? Yeah, it talks about like the preference for water that you should use. Like you should be using like a running stream, which is like living water, you know. So you should baptize someone in a in a running stream. But it's like, but if that's not available, then I guess you can do it in still water. But if that's not available, I guess you can use well water. And I just find it really entertaining that they cared so much about the water that was that people were baptized in. So that's wow. that's really my favorite text right now. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> and that is circa... It's second century AD. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Super fun. So Hannah, can you tell us um, a little bit about your conversion story? Sure. So it's kind of fascinating. So my mom and my dad got married and they were Catholic and my mom joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, but she still raised as Catholic. She joined in 2000, um, raised as Catholic. Um, and then I was baptized at age eight into the church. We attended the church for a little bit. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to pursue Catholicism instead. So I decided to go to a Catholic college, wanted to become a nun. And then I wrote, um, I don't know how to put this. I guess the anti-Mormon book is the best way to put it. I, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote a anti-Mormon monog- monograph. It's 96 pages. I still have it on my computer that basically <laughs> <laughs> talks about why the Catholic church is right and attacks our church. Right. And as I was writing this, um, I just had a series of really funky experiences. I actually had to meet with the missionaries again to write this anyways, because I was like, oh, might as well talk to some representatives from the faith. I met with the missionaries and I decided that I did not want to, in fact, become a Catholic nun. So um, <laughs> I read Moroni 741. This is, this is a crazy story. I was sitting on my couch and there was a Book of Mormon on the armchair and I hadn't had the Book of Mormon on the armchair in months, just because I, I wouldn't read it, because I was like, I don't want anything to do with them. I wanted to be super duper Catholic, so I was super duper Catholic. I was baptized Catholic, so it worked. Um, I had a Book of Mormon on the armchair, had no clue why it was there, and I was having a really rough day, and I was like, I guess I could read a verse from this. And I opened up to Mor- Moroni 741, which to this day is my favorite verse, and I'm just going to read it, because it's one of those verses that I feel like you got to read if I'm going mm-hmm. yes, to talk about it. Yeah. So it reads, and what is it that you shall hope for? Behold, I say unto you that you shall have hope through the atonement of Christ and the power of his resurrection to be raised unto life eternal. And this is because of your faith in him, according to the promise. I read this verse and I had the craziest spiritual experience to this day. It's, it's the most profound one I've had where I just felt like I was completely on the wrong track. I wanted to become a nun, but I was also dating someone who was super duper Catholic, he was looking into becoming a priest. Um, and we both decided either we would enter religious life or marry each other. That's where we were at. And, um, <laughs> like Nacho Libre. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It's, it was really weird for a relationship, you know, because you would be like, oh, like maybe we'll marry each other or maybe we'll be celibate for the rest of our lives. Who knows? Um, yeah. have, you, um, have you read any of uh, Orson Scott Card's books? No, I haven't. Well, there's actually like... Uh, a, I think it's in Children of the Mind, or is it in Xenocide? I can't remember. But basically, Ender Wiggin uh, ends up joining a monastery because his wife left him in anger and then joined the monastery as well. And so oh he joins to, to be with her, but they have to be celibate in the monastery together. 
Anyway, so it's a really good book, but it's not the main point of the book. That just made me think of that. So go on. Sorry. Oh, you're fine. So I read Moroni 741 and I decided that everything about my life was completely wrong. I decided I was at the wrong college, that I was doing the wrong stuff, that I was practicing the wrong religion. So I talked to my stake president, talked to my, well, like the stake president in my area, talked to mm-hmm. the bishop in my area, packed up everything and moved to Utah to attend Brigham Young University and become a full member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It was really fast. I read Moroni 741 in April and then I was endowed in July and then I moved out to Utah in August. Um, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. I got endowed on my 19th birthday. So, Oh my goodness. I'm just blown away by your faith to, I mean, to go from like writing an anti Latter-day Saint material to completely being engulfed in and active in the church that's really right. amazing well i mean you think about like paul or I guess then saul i mean that's kind yeah. of what he did he was like like literally throwing christians into jail yeah. and then all of a sudden he's like oh i had this profound experience now i'm going to be the most ardent defender of the faith mm-hmm. ever so that's awesome See, that was oh, one and- of my attitude too is i was i had like a little bit of background you know in the church and my my dad is not a member my mom is so i had a bit of background in the church um but I, I had decided that whatever faith I would be in, I would be like the most ardent defender. I would be out there <laughs> trying mm-hmm. my best. But for whatever reason, I just really liked Catholicism. Um, and that's why I was Catholic for a little bit there. Well, oh, okay. Uh, I just wanted to add one click, not disclaimer, but clarifier for our listeners. Um, when Latter-day Saints say like they received their endowments or they were endowed, um, that's referring to, uh, we, go through, we can go through the temple which you know, is different from our meeting houses. So temples are special places where we go to make uh, specific covenants with Heavenly Father. Uh, and then the endowment is kind of the main, the main thing you do there, I guess. It's the main set of covenants uh, that you basically just completely commit yourself to Heavenly Father and you consecrate your life to Him uh, and everything you have to Him. And you're you promise him that you will follow him and do everything you can. It's, you know, we kind of do that at baptism as well, but the endowment is kind of like, you know, like the next level <laughs> of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just, if you're wondering, if you're listening, you're wondering what that is, that's what that means. Um, okay. So I have a question. Can you tell us a little bit more about the fair Mormon uh, organization, organization yeah. foundation and what it means to what what is apologetics i guess is yeah question. that's a really good question so fair mormon um so fair stands for foundation for apologetic information and research so we are a nonprofit organization we are not affiliated with the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um we have i i guess the best way to put it is third star affiliation on the church which means we don't have a direct affiliation but they think that we are worthy of being cited sometimes that's the best way to put yeah. it um, well, and the, there's so, even like links from the church website to fair mormon's website which yeah. i've never seen before <laughs> like with any other organization except <laughs> fair mormon so. yeah so we respond to criticism of the uh, that is done against the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints the best way to describe it would be a negative apologetic. So first, like, let's define apologetics. Apologetics right. is 
Um, it's a fun term. It does not mean to apologize for something. The first time I, I ever saw the word apologetics, I was like, wait, so these people are apologizing for the religion? That's not what That's it means. That's what I was thinking too when I saw yeah. it for the first time. Yeah. yeah. It, it comes from the Greek word apologia, which comes from apo and logos, which means to basically speak in defense. So apologetics is speaking in defense of your religion and your church. And negative apologetics is when you respond to criticism as opposed to actively showing why something is true. We mostly do negative apologetics, but we sometimes do positive apologetics, which is explaining why the church is true, not just responding to criticisms that are levied against the church. So Fair Mormon is a nonprofit organization. Everyone who works for Fair Mormon is a volunteer, except for one person who runs the bookstore. (laughs) Um, So we all volunteer (laughs) our time um, to... Build up Fair Mormon and the Kingdom of God. That's excellent. I um, just kind of give you a bit of background. I, like I said, went to a uh, Baptist high school and middle school and elementary. And our senior year, so I actually got it twice. So uh, the senior year at the high school, you had to take apologetics from like the Southern Baptist perspective. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, it was it was very interesting. I mean, so we had to take a Bible class or religious class every year. Uh, but my my junior year, because it was a really small school, like my class, my graduating class was like twenty one people or twenty four people. Um, but I uh, I was in like the advanced math class, and so we had like a weird thing where our little group of five kids from the advanced math class would go with the class like the the next year's math. It's like Mm -hmm. when I was in 11th grade, I went to the 12th grade math. And then uh, that meant that we weren't with our class during their math class. And so we had another period where we were with somebody else. And so we uh, happened to be that my junior year, we happened to be in the apologetics class uh, during our extra weird period. Mm -hmm. And so I took apologetics twice because of that. And I left um, I left high school with a super bad taste in my mouth about apologetics. What? So taking apologetics at like a school of a different religion would mean that you're learning about how to defend that religion, right? Yeah. Well, and the, the way that the apologetics course was set up at my school was it wasn't defending your own religion. It was all attacking the other religion. Oh, okay. Right. And so it was like, so like how to quote unquote prove others wrong. Yeah. It was just like Bible bashing one-on-one. It was like a, like a next level Bible bashing. That sounds terrible. And it, it wasn't even just that. It was like, uh, so it was broken up. I'm, I'm sorry. This is like taking, oh, no, this is, a, a no, this is interesting. Uh, so the, the apologetics book was set up. So there were like six sections. Uh, actually there were seven. I can't remember. One of them, which was my favorite was dealing with cults and, the evils of Mormonism, um, which was fun being a (laughs) member of the church. Uh, and it was interesting having them teach to me why I was going to hell. So that was, that was interesting. Uh, but then the other six sections were addressing the major worldviews and it was like secular humanism, cosmic or yeah, cosmic humanism, Islam, Catholicism, Oh, what were the other? I can't remember. Oh, communism. And there was one other. I think it was like the 
wayward Christian was like the other main worldview. And so everything was like attacking those. So you go through a section like, okay, let's figure out how to attack this worldview about this topic. Um, and I did not like that very much. <laughs> I did not think it was very effective or nice. Mm-hmm. I totally so, agree with that. Yeah, Fair Mormon does not attack other faiths for that reason because I, I know that Fair Mormon is committed to just trying to defend the church as opposed to... I, I've, right. I've been in situations where, you know, I've been attacked for my belief. I beliefs I have talked to evangelical um, pastors on camera who have... Um, not attacked me personally, but have attacked other people's beliefs. Um, so it, it definitely, there's definitely a culture there. Yeah, that exists. Yeah. yeah. So what? Go ahead. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> what have you found from your experience is the difference between like trying to prove your religion right and defending it. That's that a really good question. Yeah. No, that's a really good question. I think when I am trying to, I I guess I would say that I don't actively try to prove that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is is right, which might sound kind of weird because I'm in the field of apologetics. But what I do is I look at the available evidence for whatever it is that I am trying to, whatever it is that I'm trying to look at. So like, say, for example, um, I'll just do, I'll do something that I, I think I feel comfortable explaining book of Abraham. So for those of you who don't know, the book of Abraham is one of the books that we believe that Joseph Smith restored to the earth. Um, so this is in the Pearl of Great Price. It's canonized Latter-day Saint scripture. Um, and in this book, um, this book has been the dispute of his, historicity and historicity is basically whether or not something is historical, whether or not it happened. Many people will attack the book of Abraham on the premise of historicity, on the premise of translation, whether or not it's an ancient record, that sort of stuff. So when I am looking at the issue of the book of Abraham, what I will do is look at the available evidence, analyze it, and then make an argument based on that. And because I'm in apologetics, right, I do have my subjective experience that I believe that the church is true. And I believe that the church is true is an objective claim that I can Mm -hmm. subjectively explain. Um, But I would say the difference between proving, proving the church. Pause real quick. I think that is a super important point. Can you uh, elaborate on that? Your, you think it is an objective claim, but that you can subjectively prove. Yes. So I think that the truth claims that I make um, that, I don't want to say I make them. The truth claims that I subscribe to that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has laid out, I think that those are objective. I think it is an objective fact that the church is true. I think it's an objective fact that the scriptures are ancient and historical. And I think my my role in showing that it's true is to bring my own experiences, my own way of thinking, my own argumentation, writing style, all that good stuff to the table and use what is subjective, idiosyncratic, unique to me in order to show something that is objective. Because it's hard to understand these things um, for a lot of different people. So I think we have different personality traits. We have different ways of thinking that can all lead us to an objective truth um, that are inherently subjective or inherently personal to myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I love that. And the reason I wanted to point that out is 
Uh, for those of you who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I want you to be able to leave this episode with something that you can apply to your faith to help strengthen your belief in God. And I think that is a really powerful, powerful idea and point. So that's perfect. Thanks. I appreciate it. But yeah, I think that the, the difference between defending and proving is proving for me is always a positive argument where I'm not responding to a particular criticism, whereas defending um, for, you know, regardless of our religion, we're going to face particular criticisms that are levied against us. For the church, most of those deal with polygamy, historicity of scripture. Um, early church history is a big topic for criticism, as well as modern prophets and apostles. Um, but even outside of my faith, I know that Islam experiences similar criticisms with respect to historicity of the Quran um, or with polygamy. And then I know that other Christian faiths received the general um, resurrected, uh, resurrected, resurrection of Jesus as being a historical criticism, that sort of stuff. So regardless mm-hmm. of that, we, we all experience these criticisms. So for me, defending these criticisms ta- is taking the argument that someone makes against the church, analyzing that, and then responding to the places in which I think that they have misinterpreted something or that they're missing information or that they misuse information or that they just have the wrong information. So I think another, like the next step that, or the next question that follows then is, you know, as we are approaching our relationship with Christ, right? So we, our relationship with Christ eventually comes down to faith, Right. Yeah. And that has to be like the core, you know, not magical stuff, but the, the thing that kind of makes it real. The key. Yeah, it means yeah. the key is, is the faith. Um, so how do you balance this idea of like, okay, so I don't need to prove that God's real. I believe that he's real. I have faith that's he, that he's real. Whether or not like to others or to yourself. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Like not needing to prove it to others, but also not needing to prove it to yourself, but let yourself rely on faith. Yeah. I think that that's a really interesting question. I think it comes down to what exactly, um, what exactly faith is. And I think the dialogue that we see in Alma 32 and Alma 33 is particularly telling for defining faith because faith is an exercise upon the word. Um, so Alma's in the Book of Mormon, um, and the Book of Mormon is, again, that restored scripture. Um, we believe it might have taken place in either Heartland America, Mesoamerica, depends on whatever theory. We don't really know where it takes place, essentially. Yeah. But um, in Alma 32 and Alma 33, we see this discussion on what exactly is faith, and faith is not blind knowledge. I think that that's what I understand from Alma 32 in particular, because Alma talks about how we have the, we have the seed, which we know is the word of God. So we have the scriptures and we can see that he says, um, now, if you give place that a seed, this is verse 28. Now, if you give place that a seed may be planted in your chest, behold, if it is, 
if it be a true seed or a good seed, if ye do not cast it out by your unbelief, then you will resist the spirit of the Lord. Behold, it will begin to swell within your breasts. And when you feel these swelling motions, you will begin to say within yourselves, it must needs be that this is a good seed or that the word is good for it beginneth to enlarge my soul. Yea, it beginneth to enlighten my understanding. Yea, it beginneth to be delicious to me. So the way that I see this is that there has to be some evidence that you have faith on because we're not asked to have faith on no accounts. Um, mm-hmm. We have we have in the gospels, especially in the gospel of John, we have quote doubting Thomas and quote, I don't really like that nickname for him. I feel kind of bad for him. Um, <laughs> we're asked called to believe regular man, Thomas, <laughs> regular, man regular Thomas. man, Thomas. Yeah. Regular man, Thomas, you know, we're asked to believe on the witnesses of the apostles. So there's always something that we base our faith on. So I think for me, I am never going to be able to show to myself or to someone else that, the Book of Mormon, for example, is completely historically plausible. I don't think that you can show any record that that's that that is that old is completely historical historically plausible. I think you can show probability, just like I think you can show probability of the resurrection. But the difference is what effect it has in your life, and I think it can be really easy to be bogged down in trying to straighten out all of the evidences that exist for Scripture in particular. Um, with a relationship in Christ. And for me, the important part is that I keep in mind that my relationship with Christ is developed based on my spiritual and intellectual experiences while reading the texts, while reading the word of God, and not just based on me seeing that the archaeological evidence points one way or another, that that archaeological evidence is still important and it still matters. We should still analyze it. We should still confront it. But what at the end of the day, whether or not the Book of Mormon is true comes down to a testimony in Christ. It doesn't come down to um, it doesn't come down to how much archaeological evidence that you have. Just because, as with everything, you can pr- you can use evidence to prove whatever you want a lot of the time. Right, right. <laughs> proof is a uh, a very fickle thing. Um, I, I think I, I really love that. I mean, I think this goes back to something that I deeply love because I am a very analytical and logical person. And like I've said before, I was a, I was trained as a political, can I say I was trained as a political scientist if that was just my undergrad? Do I have to be like a graduate to say I was (laughs) trained as a political scientist? I was a political science, uh, political science major. Uh, And so anybody who was in any of the sciences, especially the social sciences, or I mean, I guess all sciences, uh, including the social sciences, knows that when you make an argument or when you form a hypothesis, there has to be a base assumption. There are always underlying assumptions when you make an argument. Um, and oh, so you, sure. can't, you can't have a, a scientific hypothesis without having base assumptions. Uh, and for me, I look at this and say, okay, some people look at faith and think this is antithetical to like the scientific method or the method of learning and logic. But in actuality, you have to pick some assumption, right? Like you, you can't say that you have no assumptions because that doesn't work. Like you have to pick some place to brace yourself against to be able to interpret the world around you. Uh, and when you try the word of God, like Alma talked about, and you find that it's worthwhile and that it's beneficial to you, that's when I, that's where I say, okay, now. Oh, sorry. Our son's waking up a little bit. Uh, that's where my um, 
my base assumptions are going to come from. My base assumptions are the, the gospel and are, are my, my faith experiences. And then that helps me uh, logically to then interpret the rest of the world around me. And you know, when it comes down to it, you have to choose your base assumptions. Uh, and I, I think uh, there's a really good verse in Helaman chapter nine um, that kind of gets at to why you can't really use logic to prove mm-hmm. to other people um, that you are, that your, your religion or whatever is right. Like it's not an effective tool for that. Uh, so Helaman nine verses 18 and 19 to kind of give you a bit of a backdrop. Uh, there was this prophet uh, and he was talking about the wickedness of the people. And he said, look, I just to give you a sign to show you that what I'm saying is true and that Jesus really is the Christ and that I am one of his prophets. Uh, right now, your, your leader is being killed by his brother. And uh, these five guys from this group say, hey, we're going to go run over to the leader's house, check to see if he's dead. So they run over see that he's dead. And then they're so astonished, they faint. Uh, and they immediately like, believe on the words of this prophet. So they wake up uh, and then the judges say, okay, I'll let the five go. Uh, we, we, don't, we know that they're not, they're not a part of this, uh, but this prophet, this guy who says he's a prophet's actually a bad dude. And he probably arranged for the, the, our leader to be killed. And then it says, that the fives did contend. So they were liberated. And then they, it says they did rebuke the judges in the words, which they had spoken against Nephi, who was the prophet uh, and did contend with them one by one in so much that they did confound them. So the five, uh, you know, filled with the spirit at this point say, like, what are you talking about? Like, this doesn't make any sense that you're still calling Nephi a, uh, like a murderer. And they, they show them with logic that the, uh, so the, the five show the judges that they were completely wrong. And it says that the judges were confounded. Um, you know, so they had like that gotcha moment where they, where the judges realized, okay, like I'm, I'm wrong, but it says, nevertheless, they caused that Nephi should be taken and bound and brought before the multitude. And so even though like the judges realized they were completely in the wrong using logic, even using like faith inspired logic, the judges still continue to do what they were going to do anyway. Right. And I think that just kind of goes to show that we are not in charge of converting people or like proving the correctness of our beliefs, but that's the spirit's job. That's the Holy ghost and nothing for some people, nothing that we can say will change their minds. And so we just need to rely on the, Holy Ghost. But I think one thing that, Hannah, I'm really excited to hear your input on this. One thing that it can be very useful for is helping people who already believe, mm-hmm. but come into contact with these questions. And then those questions begin to sow doubts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So have, can you talk about that? I mean, I'm sure you've experienced this with, with maybe yourself or with other people. Uh, can you talk about maybe a situation where you've seen somebody who was a, was a believer uh, had a strong testimony, but then kind of came into some of these anti-materials and that kind of weakened their faith. But then through apologetics and through logic, you were able to help strengthen their faith again. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. So 
Um, recently within our faith, one of the problems we've been experiencing is with respect to the book of Abraham. I mentioned it earlier, some restored scripture. There was a 12 hour long interview um, with an Egyptologist um, on this podcast called Mormon Stories Podcast hosted by John DeLynn, where this Egyptologist basically ripped the book of Abraham to shreds and everyone who is an apologist who does work on it. So Carrie Mulestein, John Gee are the people who do the most work on the book of Abraham. They're BYU professors. This 12 hour, literally it's a 12 hour long podcast. I know I listened to the entire thing. It was a long props to you. It was a very very long long. day. (laughs) I ordered pizza. I actually I actually saw the link and then I texted one of my friends and I was like, should I order pizza? And he said yes, so I did. Um (laughs) during during this podcast, he basically ripped the entire book of Abraham to shreds. And then earlier this like earlier last month, one of the more famous BYU Egyptologists came out and said that he was no longer a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that he didn't believe in the Book of Abraham anymore. Um, so that really shattered a lot of people's testimonies because this this person was a an Egyptologist for BYU, did studies in the Book of Abraham, and then said that he was completely wrong for the last few years, um, and the 12-hour-long interview didn't help. And I had a particular individual come to me and say, hey, Hannah, so I listened to this podcast. I read what this the Egyptologist on the podcast, Rob Brittner, said, and I no longer think the Book of, Mar- the Book of Abraham is historical. And I was able to point them to an interview that I had done with John Gee. I was able to point them towards um evidences for the book of abraham on the fair mormon and the interpreter foundation pages the interpreter foundation is another lds nonprofit that does that has similar aims to fair mormon um i was able to point them to these resources and we had a really great conversation about how there's four idolatrous gods mentioned in the book of abraham that joseph smith would have had no way of knowing the names of because they were not attested to in any other text until the 1900s. So we were able to go through different pieces of evidence like that. And then this person was able to read the book of Abraham again and kind of get back on their feet and be like, okay, yes, there is evidence for my beliefs. I'm not just believing something out of nothing, which is, I think the usefulness of apologetics, at least for me, is that there is, there is some grounding, there is some evidence to my beliefs, because as you said earlier, we all have a worldview and we all have a perspective and our worldviews and perspectives are built on facts and they're built on truths that we mm-hmm. have dis- we have decided that are true in some way, shape, or form. And I think for a lot of believing members, it can be useful to have evidences that they can point others to, that they can review themselves so that they can frame their spiritual experiences. Because I believe we can always have spiritual experiences regardless of what religion we are. But I think the facts and the evidences are important because they can help guide us in the interpretation of our spiritual experiences. Yeah, definitely. I definitely 100% agree that agree with that. And I think it's awesome that you're able to have that, that experience uh, with, with this person. Um, because there's just so much effort to tear down faith. And I'm, I'm sure we've all been exposed to this in some way, shape or form. And people like, I don't know if we were, if we we're, aware of this, but if you sit in a conversation or a podcast or you watch a documentary for 12 hours 
with anybody, you're going to start to think that they're making some legitimate points, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and because <laughs> because w- especially in like a podcast setting when it's like kind of set up to glorify their perspective, right? So you're going to be spending hours listening to them <laughs> uh, glorify their perspective without having anybody actively challenge them to their face. And so you're, it's really easy to kind of get sucked into the undertow of that without stepping back and being like, Hey, like this is a jump or that is like, that's not really fair. or That's not a very good uh, analytical or it's not a very good perspective or that doesn't really make sense. Or, you know, you said five evidences and then you made a claim, but those evidences don't support that claim or things like that. And unless you're kind of trained your brain to think that way, at least like the very, questioning, I guess, or very analytical like that, it's very difficult to not get sucked into the undertow. Uh, and so if oh, I you're, totally agree. yeah, I mean, can you, can you talk maybe about how regular people who aren't apologists, right. Who don't do this, uh, you know, for a living or don't do this for a hobby, like, uh, some people do, mm-hmm. um, how regular people can apply some of these apologetic skills that you've developed. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. The first thing that I would say is listen to a lot of different criticisms of your faith and be able to analyze them properly. And here's how I would do it. I would first listen to the framing of things. So oftentimes when people make attacks on faith, they will frame it in a question and answer format, or they'll frame it in an essay format or a book format. And being able to tease out the warrants of an argument and the warrants of an argument are the assumptions that that person has when they make the argument as Mm -hmm. well as the the direct point of the argument is really helpful because i find that a lot of criticisms on faith for better or for worse have incorrect warrants and if you're if uh if a criticism on faith has an incorrect warrant then the argument itself is faulty um can you explain can you elaborate what you mean by an incorrect warrant Sure. So um, a good example would be if someone were to ask a question about the Bible, um, let's say about the Hebrew Bible, and had the assumption that the Hebrew Bible was actually written in Greek. So they 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 lead in and they talk about how um, the Hebrew Bible has this Greek word um, for king, and this Greek word for king shows that the king had to be earthly and not a heavenly Messiah, therefore there is no Messiah. That's a made-up example, but mm-hmm. the, the point is there. So the warrant there is that there is a Greek word within the Hebrew Bible. There is not a Greek word within the Hebrew Bible. I can tell you that right now. It's all written in Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, so being able to identify little things like that that we can often miss when we're reading criticism I think is really helpful. So I would say make sure to pay attention to the framing of criticism. Pay attention to what assumptions the person has, pay attention to what where the person gets their sources from too. That's a big deal. So I was watching, um, I watch a lot of anti-Mormon videos. I still say anti-Mormon. I haven't found a good term for it. I guess anti-LDS would be better. But yeah, I was watching an, yeah, an anti-LDS <laughs> video. Yeah, I watched- for those of you who don't know, the, um, in the past few years, uh, we as a church have made a concerted effort to stop referring to ourselves or our history or anything that has to do with us as Mormon, uh, because people started to think of us as worshiping Mormon or as followers of Mormon, but Mormon was just 
an ancient prophet who's a good dude, but he's like, we don't call ourselves Moseses. Uh, we, we are followers of Christ. And so we try and focus on calling ourselves uh, Latter-day Saints or followers of Jesus Christ or the members of the church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. And so we, as a, as a church, are still trying to figure out some of these jargony things. Like how do anti-Mormon. We, yeah, like how do we replace anti-Mormon? <laughs> so. Yeah, so yeah, we'll call it anti-LDS. I was watching an anti-LDS show where someone pointed out that um, there was there was a source that said that a person said that Oliver Cowdery said. And you can already see where that's going. So paying attention to these sources is really important because that is not a first-hand source. That is not even a second-hand source. That is a third-hand source. Um, but so but it, was, able- it was published in a peer-reviewed journal. It has to be it, real. It wasn't even published in a peer-reviewed journal. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just even if it is published in a peer-reviewed journal, I would say take a deep dive into the footnotes and look at where they get their sources from. Because right. I think we, we yeah. as a society have like taken a we've put uh, expertise on a weird pedestal. You know, yeah. like in our pantheon of of modern day false gods, we've put expertise, especially academic expertise on a pedestal and we we don't question the uh, infallibility of academics enough and so when someone smart starts talking we're like oh man this must be true you know he probably has all these really sound sources and he's probably studied this for five years just this one thing and so he must be right and the the funny part too is all academics disagree on things wildly so i'm like I don't know. But yeah, make sure to look at the sources. Make sure to look at what sources they're using. Another another thing that I would say in addition to that is to take some time and step back after you read criticisms and write down your thoughts. So what I do personally cuz I you know, I'm writing a I'm writing a book on this um is I will read the criticism. I will step back. I will write down just my my reaction to it as a believer. I will write down the things that like really irritated me, the things that made me upset, the thing, whatever I reacted to it. And then I'll take a step back and I'll outline the criticism and I'll find different points of intersection. And what I mean by that is I'll find things that are of interest to me. Um, I, I try not to just, you know, interact with things that I don't think matter. So I, I find things that are of interest to me and that are of importance to the faith. And I think that this is, this is the most critical part of apologetics for, for anyone, but especially if you're going to engage in it on the daily, is to remember what is integral to your faith and what is not integral to your faith. Mm-hmm. That is a hard thing to figure out because I've had people talk to me and be like, you know, Hannah, I cannot stand that a prophet said this in 1850. I can't be a believer because Joseph Smith said this one thing or because Moses said this one thing, or they like they open up the Hebrew Bible and they realize that you know there's some violence in there that is kind of hard to stomach. That there's a lot of commandments that don't make sense. Like for me, one of the hard ones in the Hebrew Bible was um, if you rape a woman, you're commanded to marry her. Um, I understand why that is a commandment in terms of ancient society, in terms of the way that would work, because the woman would be left without any money, without any place to live, and because she had been raped, people wouldn't want to marry her because of the sexist culture that they had. But it was still really hard for me to read that and be like, okay, that seems horrible. Like, why would we, why would a God ever inflict that upon a person? Um, 
and then I and then I took a step back and I was like, first off, we don't even practice the law of Moses any anymore, anyways. And second off, God recognized that there needed to be progression beyond that. So for me, taking a step back and and recognizing that there are some things that people criticize that are just kind of tangential to the faith that don't really matter that mm-hmm. they'll use to try to they'll use to try to show why your faith is wrong but you can take a step back and be like okay like that's not really important that doesn't matter um so being able to decide what is important what is not find those points of intersection and then just try to make an argument based on reason and based on evidence so turning to your scriptures is a great way your holy books is a great way to make arguments um but also just turning to any available scholarship to reading through the available scholarship for every anti-piece you read read one piece that is apologetic and then construct your own arguments from that your own way of thinking from that i think that that's really important to have balance in what you read and try to make arguments on points that actually matter and determining what matters to you if that yeah definitely i think going off of that like even if you are i think the average person is honestly just not going to be committed to like going through and actively finding stuff that is antithetical to their faith or is actively trying to tear down their faith right but when they come across it um i think like you said like kind of come from the assumption that uh a couple things i want to take away from this one come from the assumption that uh, one there is an answer right so it's not like you're coming across this thing and then this person who's like trying to tear down your faith has come up with something that no one has ever thought of before. Right. Like that's someone that kills me when you run into people who have like stopped believing in Christ or have left the church. They usually say things like, Oh, like I can't get over this one thing. Like I don't see how this can be true. And I'm like, and they, they're acting like no one has ever brought this up before. And no one has oh, thought yeah. about this and no one's ever been able to answer. Like, dude, like I promise you, like, again, I, I went to a Southern Baptist high school, my Southern Baptist school, my entire life. And I uh, had anti stuff put on my desk, like not every day, but pretty frequently. Uh, so yeah. like, I promise you, we've like, I've seen it. Other people who are a lot smarter than me have seen it. And there are, answers like there are people who are faithful who have come up with answers for these things so coming out of a place of understanding that there are people who have who have seen this before who are smart and who have thought about this and can give answers and then remembering what your base assumptions are right and so you come at it from a place of faith because you are someone who believes in christ you are someone who has that faith and don't be quick to to doubt that faith Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that this is relational too, right? Because everything hinges upon our covenantal relationship with Jesus Christ. It doesn't hinge upon that random essay that someone wrote that seeks to tear down a religion. I find that people, for me, I, I do differentiate between sources that I think mildly criticize the church and sources that are actively opposed to the church. There is a difference between criticism and anti material, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, and, and I think that with the anti-material in particular, you have to remember that, I don't know, like if someone is trying to write a piece to try to tear down someone else's religion specifically, that to me doesn't seem like a happy activity. So mm-hmm. I don't write it off for that reason. I still engage it, but I, I remember that the point of it is to 
paint my church in the worst light possible. And then I can always go back to my relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. I think one of the takeaways that I've got from this conversation has been the kind of like the real world application outside of religion about the current events of the world and how easy it is to um, see posts on social media and automatically think that they're facts and then things get spread around so fast that suddenly everyone is um, all up in a rage about this false news that isn't even real. And um, so just understanding that we have the ability to check sources and to pray about something and to to just take the time to do it instead of going off of, well, she said, he said, and he posted this, so this must be true, or he's yeah. confident in his opinion, so I trust him. Or even there's this weird thing where um, people who are pushing a certain narrative will attack like a belief system or a church or organization. Again, I'm expanding this outside of the world, just purely apologetics, but uh, they will attack one little thing like one little incident or one something one person said and then they will try and use that one little incident to prove not just like disprove one narrative but to prove their entire narrative Mm -hmm. right so like they're trying to say that oh so like this uh religious person or this religious leader this prophet was wrong about this one situation or he was you know he said something that was incorrect or whatever it is uh and now they're going to use that to try and prove that their entire narrative, that like that organization is wholly terrible and awful and of the devil. And so it's interesting that they're trying to like, you're pulling at like the edges of the, of a belief system. And then you're using that like one little instance to prove a completely, completely antithetical narrative. Mm-hmm. So Emily, yeah. the question for you. Yes. Um, you are less analytical than I am. Yes, that I think, is a fact. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything Hannah has been saying is things that I already naturally do. Mm-hmm. So how do you, I think you're probably more like a lot of our listeners who aren't like that. How okay. are you going to apply the things that Hannah is saying? Well, I mean, I think... <sighs> so from what I've already kind of mentioned, um, it's really easy for me to... Um, see things on social media and then um, the news or hearing conversations with other people and to just like go along with what's being posted and what's being shared and what's being um, talked about without checking sources or without really questioning. It's really easy for me to just be like, oh my gosh, like this is happening and this, this must be true. Um, So to, for me, a big help is going to be to just slow down, take a step back, how does this make me feel? How can I turn to the Lord about this thing? Um, and so, I mean, that's outside of apologetics, but inside of it, um, you know, I personally haven't been ever really introduced to like anti-material of my faith. Um, and I hope that I never- Even on your really, mission? Yeah, I really didn't have any of that exposure. Wow. Um, and I'm glad because I don't have- um, loud confidence in like proving or maybe defending. I personally rely heavily on my faith. And I think that 
that is a great thing and that can be a strength. But at the same time, sometimes you do need answers, not just for other people, but you do need answers for yourself. And so that's something that I definitely need to work on is making sure that I know what I believe and that I know where my testimony comes from and how to strengthen it instead of solely relying on, well, this, this feels good. This feels right. So this is what I believe. Well, Hannah, I think in closing, can I ask one more question? Yeah, of course. Um, So what would you say to our listeners and to anybody who's uh, dealing with these kind of things? uh, What is the danger if there, or is there a danger in just saying, or when they come up with, or they, when they come across anti-material that is trying to tear down their faith in Jesus Christ um, or in their, in their church or whatever it is, basically yeah, just say, tear down your faith. Uh, what is the danger in just saying like, oh, like, I don't believe that. That can't be true. And then kind of just turning around and not engaging with the material. Sure. I do think that at some points of your faith journey, that that is something that you should do. I, I know for me that there's been times where I have felt really tender in my faith, where I have felt like if I were to engage something that it would destroy me. Um, and I know that we all feel like that at some, at some mm-hmm. points, but I think the danger with it that I see is the difference between faith and confirmation bias. And I like to know that there is a difference for me there too, because we all have the tendency to conform to particular notions because that is the only way of thinking that we have sincerely engaged or the only way of thinking that we have sincerely engaged recently. So I think that when bigger attacks come along and they will come along sometimes, um, then those attacks can be hard to grapple with. I think if you have a bunch of little attacks, like if you see if you see a post on Facebook that stands out to you, like an anti-post on Facebook that tries to tear down your faith and you have a bunch of these little little needles that prick at you that you have seen that you shove aside then when something that is massive confronts you i think because you've had those little tiny jabs against you it can be harder to confront that massive thing as opposed to being able to work through those smaller things so then when the bigger thing does come you're able to engage it and i i also just think the reason why i like to i, I mean i honestly wholeheartedly like to engage the material is because I do see it as a way to strengthen my faith. Um, That for me is not the goal. I try to maintain objectivity as much as I can, but the result for me almost always is increased faith in Jesus Christ and his church because I see the way that my faith fits into my worldview. I see the way that my faith is logically consistent, which helps me to develop what I like to call a guiding principle to interpret the rest of the scriptures, the rest of life that I encounter. So I think it helps reveal how you think too and how and how your faith works. And I think that that can be very valuable to have a deeper understanding of the scriptures. So I, I think that there are times where, yeah, like I would say if you're feeling if you're feeling like engaging that material would be detrimental to your faith, I'm not going to encourage anyone to do something that they think is detrimental to their faith. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think it could be a good experience of learning to develop an increased trust in the Holy spirit to be able to see, to see the difference and to feel the difference that you feel when you read things. I, I feel like I should just share this story. I was, 
I had a week this past, I think it was April, where I decided that I would spend the entire week just watching a ton of anti videos, reading a ton of anti stuff. Um, as I said, I'm writing a book on it. So I just spent the, the entire week, like literally like 8am until probably like 10 to midnight every single day, just reading and listening to stuff. And there was one day on a Friday and it was 5 p.m. and I had spent the entire week doing it. I was just so burnt out and I was like, wow, like I wasn't feeling like my faith was attacked. I, I was like, oh, these are arguments that I've heard before. A lot of them are trite, but I was feeling just so bogged down by the way that I felt by listening to people attack my faith. So then I just pulled open the Book of Mormon and I, I had a recharge moment where I read I read my favorite chapter in the Book of Mormon is Moroni 7. I also read Mosiah 2 through 5. I just love the speech on charity. It's my favorite thing. Um, mm-hmm. I read that and I felt spiritually recharged. So I do think it's important when we encounter these things to remember that the safe place to go is always the scriptures to have that recharging moment and for me like i understand like it's really easy to read this stuff and then just feel terrible nobody wants to feel terrible but always going back to the scriptures going back to the word of god where i see that there are people who testify of christ that's what's restorative for me and that's how i can keep going and i think that that's the most important thing to do yeah that's awesome and i I just want to add one thing to that that you brought up earlier you mentioned um just now which you brought up earlier the fact that because you had engaged with this material when somebody came to you with a question uh you were able to provide an answer because you had engaged with it if you had just kind of said you know what like i don't believe that's true like that's like that makes me feel uncomfortable and that makes me question like not feel good about my faith then i'm not going to pay attention to it if you had done that then when that person had come to you who had faith but had a sincere question, uh, all you could have been able to say was, you know, like, you just have to have more faith. And in those situations, that's not always the best answer. And so the fact that you were able to provide guidance to other people uh, because you had engaged is, a, I think, a really powerful blessing, especially, you know, as... I'm thinking about um, our children as our children are going to grow older and the, the amount of anti-material that's out there just continues to grow and grow and grow. The animosity towards all believers is going to continue to grow. I think if anybody disagrees with me, they haven't really been paying attention. Like the animosity towards believers is not going to go away. Um, And so I think that's, those are some really powerful things. Right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. We really appreciate you being on our podcast. And guys, you can find Hannah's podcast, The Fair Fair Mormon or The Fair Mormon? Fair Mormon. Uh, it's Fair Voice at Fair Mormon. Fair Voice at Fair Mormon. Okay. And where, where can they find that at? Uh, fairmormon.org. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, if you happen to be on twitter which is a terrible place to be but if you happen to be there she <laughs> is one of the my, my favorite accounts to follow uh, always good uplifting content um go f- follow her on there what is your your uh, twitter name handle what is it called handle right your twitter handle yeah i think it's handle yeah my twitter handle is at hannah syriac and that's h-a-n-n-a-s-e-a-r-i-a-c thanks so much this was an awesome interview yeah oh, it was super you. fun all right guys well you keep on keeping on we love you remember christ loves you 
he is there, he does care about you, and we're hoping that you can take something from this interview and uh, and strengthen your faith a little bit. Yeah. All right, guys. See ya. Keep the faith.